Hey there, I'm Adam Demetrician, the lead pastor at Pathways Church in Appleton, Wisconsin. And this is our podcast. I hope this message inspires you, feeds your faith, and ultimately leads you into a growing relationship with Jesus. So I believe deep in the heart of human beings is this desire to find significance by living a life that matters. We wanna be better, right? I mean, likely that's what fueled whatever resolution you set for 2023. We wanna be better. But isn't it true that we also want to leave this place better than we found it? We wanna make a difference. We, we, wanna, we wanna see change in our midst. And we're prayerful that God would use us to make that difference. And so we want things to be better. So questions like, why am I here at this time in this generation? And what does my life really count for? And if I wasn't here, would anybody notice the contribution that I'm trying to make? These are all questions that are so, so real for us. And one of the ways that is becoming incredibly complex and full of tensions is how we leverage our voice to improve our world, not just prove our point. And I think for many of us, we use our voice and we want to affect change with our vote. Now, there are some of us, though, that feel that politics is a total sham and therefore we disregard voting and we don't want to have anything to do with politics. Now, no matter where you are on that continuum today, whether you're passionate about politics or you disregard the whole system in and of itself, I believe that God wants to speak to you in this series entitled, He Gets You, because He gets us. And so what we're doing, we're steering into this because we believe that when He gets us and He has us, He will show us what He wants to do in and through us. So if you are a Democrat, Jesus gets you. He gets your burden for the poor and the outcast. Listen to the words of Christ as he talked about the least of these. He says, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. And I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. In Matthew 25, the righteous said, when did this happen? When did we ever do this? And Jesus responded in verse 40, he said, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Jesus was close. His heart was close to the poor and the disfranchised. Out of the 10 lepers, he healed all 10 of them. They were social outcasts. He fed the 5,000. He was there for the demoniac. He freed the demoniac. If you're a Democrat, Jesus gets your burden for the poor and the outcast. He also gets you when it comes to your cry for justice. Listen to the Old Testament prophet Amos. He, write, he wrote these words to the people of God, the Israelites. He says, but let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never failing stream. What beautiful imagery that the prophet paints for you and me. And Jesus was a just man. He was just toward women toward children, even to the thief on the cross, his justice was exercised by saying, today you will be with me in paradise. He had no idea what that meant, but Jesus knew that he had met the just demands of God and he had met the consequences of sin. So if you're a Democrat, Jesus gets you. 
If you are a Republican, Jesus gets you. He gets your call to morality. No one can dispute the wisdom of Solomon when he writes this in Proverbs chapter 14. Righteousness exalts a what? Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin condemns any people. Jesus was clear about sin. He called out religious hypocrisy. He railed against greed and excessive materialism, lust of the eyes. Jesus, his standard was so clear that in his most famous sermon, he says, narrow is the way that leads to life, but broad is the road that leads to destruction. So Jesus understands he's in 100% agreement with you when it, calls, when it comes to the call to morality. If you're a Republican, he also understands your passion for law and order. The Bible teaches that all authority is in place and put in place and installed by God himself. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to free to be free from the fear of one in authority? Then do what is right and you will not be condemned. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid for rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. One time when Jesus was trapped and was questioned. He understood the, the, the law and the authority of the land in that day. They tried to trap him on this tax issue. And so Jesus said, hey, give me a coin. He looked at the image of the coin and it had Caesar. And he said, give to Caesar what is Caesar and give to God what is God, God's. He, he never resisted arrest. He never railed or went to try to overthrow the Roman government. Jesus understood the parameters of law and order. But whether you are a Democrat or whether you are a Republican, your political party doesn't even come close to the way of Jesus. Regardless of how red or how blue you are, your political party is like a broken down piece of junk on the I-41. I don't care how much you love a donkey or an elephant, you've missed the lamb. And the lamb of God was the one who was slain from the foundations of the world for the forgiveness of sin. Now that I have your attention, <laughs> I figured we would... Uh, get into this topic of politics. Now, some of you might be sitting here wondering, Adam, why are we even talking about this? I mean, really? Like, Jesus in politics to kick off 2023? Like, why, why are we even going there? Well, let me answer that question by saying this. If the gospel does not inform every area of your life and my life, then the version of the gospel that we're listening to and reading is a false gospel. That the gospel has to speak to every part of who we are. That's why Jesus gets you. 
He gets me. He gets us, and he gets this idea of the political climate and the cultural wars that we're a part of every single day, whether it's on CNN or whether it's Fox News or Newsmax or whatever Twitter feed that you're listening and watching. Jesus gets us. In fact, Jesus was born into a cultural war as well. He was born in the, the time of the height of the Roman Empire. And the Romans were unique because this was the first empire that did not displace conquered people. Now, understand it wasn't like a representative democracy as we have today. However, what the Romans did do, they allowed the Jews to remain in the conquered and defeated land. The only exception was that they would set up a puppet, a puppet government and they would exact a tax. They wanted their money. And so if you were a Jew, depending on how many people in your family, how many kids you had, you were taxed. If you were a farmer, you were taxed on your crops. If you were a fisherman, you were taxed on your catch. If you traveled the Roman roads, you were taxed. It was the first empire that had sustainable roads. You were taxed. On top of this, you paid a religious tax, a temple tax. So Jesus understood taxes. He gets taxes. He gets what we deal with. Now, what is interesting is that political and religious factions were one and the same in the first century, meaning that there were the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Like today, we have conservatives and we have Republicans. The, the difference is, is that they were in cahoots with the Roman Empire. Some were trying to leverage the greed and the materialism and the power to gain their own oppressive ways for their own agendas. And the question that we have to ask ourselves if we wanna understand how we handle ourselves in our political climate is how did Jesus handle himself in his political climate? Did he align himself with the moral majority of the day? Did he try to go rank and file with Rome and their kingdom? What did he do? None of the above. Jesus, Jesus went from town to town offering a new life, a new way of hope, a new way of living. His campaign slogan, his platform, if you will, was known as the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom, the, the good news of the kingdom. In fact, this is what scripture says. In Matthew chapter nine, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming, here it is, the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had what? What did he have on the crowds? Compassion. Why? Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. What's the kingdom? The kingdom is simply this, whoever wants to be in on God, whoever wants to have a seat at the table, regardless of how old you are or what color you are or how you're registered to vote, you can be a part of God's family. You can have entrance into his care and his love and his protection and his healing and his blessing in your life and spend eternity with him. If you wanna be in, you can be in. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. When he initiated his earthly ministry, he said, repent and believe for the kingdom of God is near. It's the kingdom. It's the kingdom. It's the kingdom. In the words of our language, what Jesus did when he entered human history is he leveled the playing field. 
He just leveled the playing field and he said, everyone is welcome. Everybody can have a seat at the table. Now, let's define the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is used 70 times in the New Testament. It's synonymous with the kingdom of heaven. So the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God are interchangeable language. What is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God in its full scope, in all of its totality, every kingdom needs a what? Needs a king. Just like every football team needs a quarterback. I'm just going to leave it like that because my my quarterback is always hurt and broken down. But today, I'll make a prediction right on this stage. The Lions will beat the Packers. All right. (laughs) Somebody said, are you going to talk about the game? I said, got bigger fish to fry, but I couldn't help it. Anyways. Then somebody said, really? You're a Bears fan. You're going to root against the Packers? I thought they were going to leave the church, but they came into service, so they're all right. All right. So the kingdom of God, in its full scope, a, a a kingdom needs a king, and the king of the kingdom of God is Jesus Christ. Okay? So here's what you have to understand. The king, King Jesus, and his kingdom... He is in full control of everything at all times with all power and all glory and full sovereignty over everything that happens in this world and all of the universe. It's his kingdom. He's in control. There is no one that can dethrone King Jesus. Now, for our purposes today, as we hone in on this matter of politics and what it means for you and me and how we engage in politics. Let me narrow the focus. The kingdom of God, this is the way I defined it. The rule of Jesus on earth where blessings flow for those who live in alignment with Jesus. What does that mean? Well, we are blessed as a people when we live in alignment with Jesus. Why? So that we can have a kingdom impact so that we can have a kingdom impact in areas of like politics, in areas of race, in areas of sexuality, etc. God blesses us so that we can be a blessing in some really difficult arenas in life. Now, here's what is so incredible about Jesus. Jesus, he He has a perspective, a divine perspective, and a very human way. He's, uh, when he came, we celebrated over Christmas the incarnation of Christ. He was born in a manger. He came 2,000 years ago. He was fully God and fully human, right? He was fully God. No one, we don't, theologians call this the hypostatic union. We don't understand this mystery, We know that Mary was impregnated by God. It's the Immaculate Conception. And so we don't understand all that, but we know that because Jesus was fully human, he gets you. He gets me. He understands politics and he understands, listen to this, both sides of every argument. He can have compassion and yet stand up for grace and yet know the truth of the way we should go as individuals. That's a powerful thing because oftentimes in our lives, we personally want grace, but when somebody else messes up, we want to give them truth. And yet Jesus knows how to balance grace and truth, compassion or love and justice. Jesus gets that. Jesus gets, I'm your friend. I'm also your King. I'm your savior, but I'm your Lord. 
Like, like Jesus does things and knows things and sees things inside all of us. I don't care if you're a Republican or a Democrat, things that we can't know, see, and understand about our own selves. He gets you because he created you. He gets you because he loves you. He gets you because you are important to the Father, and that's why he came on mission to die for you and for me. Have you ever had somebody get you? I mean, really get you. They just get you. I had a text conversation with one of my longest time friends back in December. December 4th, I had this conversation, uh, just a brief text. It was on a Sunday evening, and um, I was texting a, a friend, and his name is Charlie. He reached out to me, and he texted me in the uh, early evening. He said, I've been thinking about you. How are you? I said, well, that's a loaded question. I said, in some ways, great. In other ways, not so great. However, all in all, hopeful. How are you? Listen to what he said. I totally get that answer. I feel the same as you. I wish we lived closer. I said, you've always just gotten me. Thanks, Charlie. Pray for me as I pray for you. Deal? He said, yes. I get you, bro. If you want to do a trip this summer, I could do that. Maybe Vegas or Cali or Florida. I just want to say for the record, I'm not going to Las Vegas this summer with Charlie, my friend, okay? I don't want, I don't want you to get nervous about your pastor, okay? But I couldn't lie and say some other city because he did say Vegas, so. But I'd probably offer San Diego. Is that fair? All right, good. Some of you are like, well, why don't you go to Vegas? It'd be awesome. No. I said, that just might happen. Let's talk more on the trip. He said, I'm game. That was like two minutes, quick text. And after that text, I thought, man, Charlie's gonna pray for me. I'm gonna pray for him. We love each other. We're brothers in Christ. I've watched his whole life, pretty much. We met each other, I'm 17, 18 years old. Um, he gets me. He gets me. Who gets you? If you feel like no one gets you, I'm here today to tell you that Jesus gets you. He gets you. And not only does he get you, but Jesus wants to take a trip with you. Not to Vegas. <laughs> but he wants to take a trip with you if you place your faith and your trust and your hope in him because one day he wants to take you to heaven. He wants to spend all of eternity with you as we worship him as the family of God together. A place where there are no more tears and no more pain and no more sin, where people from every language and tribe and kindred and color will gather around the Lamb of God and for all eternity worship and reign and rule with Jesus Christ in beautiful harmony and unity and peace and power. Doesn't that sound like a fantastic trip? The question then becomes, what do we do until then, Adam? Especially when it comes to politics, what do we do? Well, we have to look at the directive and the instructions of Jesus Christ. This is what he says in Matthew chapter nine. He said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. What Jesus tells us to do is to pray for workers. Workers to do what? To win elections? No. 
To win cultural battles and wars? No. To go out, the last time I checked, friends, Jesus' mission and mandate was clear. Go and make disciples. Go and win souls. Go and have a harvest. Make sure you're embracing the hearts and minds of people and giving them the truth and the revelation of who Jesus Christ is. That's what Jesus calls us to do. To be about more than our agendas, more than our former system or political party. Now, does that mean that we need to disengage in politics? No, that's not what I'm saying. We need to engage in politics. In fact, when the next generation comes up and they express interest in, in, in law or in politics, we, we need to encourage that. We need to support that. We need to pray for them. The reason that we're blessed as a people so that we can, as I told you earlier, have a kingdom impact. We want to persuade politics. Think of the biblical characters of Joseph, of Esther, of Nehemiah. I don't know what happened right there when I said Esther, but Esther, <laughs> Esther, my favorite, what, my probably my all-time favorite Old Testament character is Esther. All of those individuals that I, I just named were engaged in political government in order to have the kingdom of God come on earth as it is in heaven. Don't you remember the little prayer that Jesus taught us to pray in Matthew chapter six? Let your uh, kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're called to have a persuading and influencing voice in the role of politics. We're also called to vote. It's our responsibility as Christians. We're called to uh, pray, pray for elected officials at all levels. We're called to engage in politics. But we also need to be mindful of our perspective and our passion about politics because our hope does not lie in politics. And I know we would all agree with that, or most of us would agree with that as believers, but yet sometimes our actions don't reflect that. For example, during the last election, I was a part of prayer gatherings with believers, some here at our church, uh, some gatherings at other places, and personally, I was praying for the election. And I was praying that it would be a just election. And I was praying for our government. I was praying and I was praying and I was praying. And I gotta tell you, some of those were most passionate and deep. And I mean, whoo, there were some prayer services. You remember, you were there. It was like, man, we were praying heaven down. And I was driving home after one of these uh, prayer services and I felt like the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart. And he said, you know, Adam, I wonder what I could do with my church if they prayed for lost people as fervently as they prayed for this next election. Ooh, talk about convicted. Pray for workers to go into the harvest field, not for your political figure to win the next election. Pray, the better prayers, God, you establish who you want in government because ultimately you're gonna do it anyways and you know the end from the beginning. So we can fully trust you. We'll engage, we'll do what we're called to do, we'll obey, but you handle the outcome because at the end of the day, we already know what happens anyways. Jesus wins, he's our champion. He's our champion. See, I guess what I'm trying to say is that uncertainty doesn't alter our values. It just exposes them. And if I can be a little critical of us as the church, I believe back in 2020 and 2021 during a health and a 
election and race wars and a crazy economy, that those outside the church had this sneaky suspicion that we were just like those outside the church. <laughs> that, that, that we were driven by the same motivation that they are driven by. And the same ideological uh, presuppositions and outcomes we as a local church were driven by. And you know what that was? It was winning. We were into winning. And based on our behavior, I think those who saw us in that season saw a group of people who forfeited the conscience of the country because we stooped to a level where we started getting into heated debates, whether it was at the copy machine or on social media or fractured and, 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 and devastating relationships where we were posting and tweeting and yelling and pointing fingers. And you know what the problem is with that? The problem isn't that we need to have all the unbelievers behave like, behave, uh, like believers. We need all the believers to behave like believers. We need all of us to represent the king and his kingdom in a very godly way to a world that is watching us, friends. Because when we act as though the king acts, we have a level of credibility and a voice in our world. But when we choose not to act like the king and we act like everyone else, we have forfeited our salt and our light and all of our conversations are not graceful and not truthful. They're ugly, they're vindictive, they're hurtful, and they do no good for anyone. So, the question then becomes this, how do we handle, how do Jesus following people, Jesus following people who are Democrats and Jesus following people who are Republican, how do we treat one another publicly, privately as Christians? And then how do we engage with those outside of the faith in our world? How do we treat, how do we speak to, what is our vantage point of those who are the opposite political persuasion and party? What do we do? You know what we do? We look to Jesus because Jesus, he ran up against a lot of people who disagreed with him. Jesus encountered people who disagreed with him quite publicly, privately, those who were close to them, those who didn't like him, those who had ulterior motives and agenda. And Jesus, he handled disagreeable people in some stunning ways. So for the remainder of my message, I wanna get practical and I wanna give you eight different ways, eight ways Jesus handled disagreeable people. Number one, here's what Jesus did. Jesus asked questions. He asked questions. One time in the gospels, uh, a family came to him and they wanted him to mediate a situation. And he asked a question. He said, have I come here for this? You want me to mediate? Like, I understand that you have a family thing, but that, that's not why I'm here. Why did Jesus ask questions? Jesus asked questions to press assumptions, to reveal and uncover motives. Jesus asked questions because he wanted to listen to the individual. Isn't it interesting when we get in a political debate, oftentimes, we're, we're formulating our rebuttal before they're even done. Like, we as humans in conflict, we don't ask questions. Like, we write questions, we journal questions, but we don't ask questions, especially in conflict and in political conversation. The first method, the first approach is to ask questions, ask questions, ask questions. Now, the second thing, Jesus does the exact opposite, okay? 
He does the exact opposite. Jesus knew when he needed to ignore people. You're like, really? Jesus ignored people? Uh Uh-huh. In Luke chapter four, he launches his public ministry in his hometown of Nazareth. And the neighborhood people were gathered around. They saw him. And you know what? They started, they wanted to throw him off a cliff. Do you know that some people can get really ugly and really nasty? And they're going to do some really toxic things. They're called toxic conversations or toxic people, right? Maybe they get emotionally abusive. Sometimes you just need to walk away. Walk away. Scripture says he, quote, went away. He went on his way. Sometimes in political conversations, listen, you're not going to change the other person. Just go on your way. Amen? All right. Here's the third thing that Jesus did. Jesus applied scripture. He applied scripture. Now, the audience for the application of scripture was not for those outside the faith. Oftentimes, he was applying scripture for the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The Pharisees were the moral majority of that day. And when they saw Jesus hanging out at Matthew's house, having dinner with tax collectors and sinners, they said, who is this, a friend of sinners? Like, we tout that about Jesus like Jesus is amazing. They said that as a derogatory comment. Like, why would you ever hang out with those people? And so Jesus overheard this and he said to them, he reached back in his Bible of the day, which was the law and prophets. He goes back to what the Pharisees memorized and he knew, and he pulled something from the prophet Hosea and he said this. He said, go and learn what it means that I desire mercy and not sacrifice. And then he goes on to give the famous line, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, it's the sick. Jesus was applying that Old Testament prophetic line and he was saying, you need to figure this out because once you figure it out, you'll understand why I'm meeting with these people. Sometimes when we're in political conversations, especially with believers, we don't need to weaponize scripture, but we sure can use scripture to guide our conscience and our choices around politics and the issues that are here in our world today. Does that make sense? All right. Number four. Jesus, this is not something, this isn't an approach. This is a posture and a disposition of his heart. Jesus was always about peace. Blessed are the peacemakers. He taught on it. He was peaceful. You remember the ear episode? Everybody grab your ear. Remember that? Grab your ear. Go ahead and grab your ear. It's okay. Grab your ear. You you remember when Jesus was arrested? Remember when Jesus was arrested? What did Peter do? He took out his sword and he lopped off the ear of the high priest. Right? Right? Now, this could have been like a brave heart moment. Jesus could have been like Mel Gibson. Freedom! He could have gone nuts, right? If you read the story, you think, oh, here it is. And what does Jesus do? Put the ear back on the guy, and he heals him. And then he says to Peter, Peter, do you think I'm here to start a rebellion with swords and clubs? Uh, that's not what I'm about. I, I want to make peace between you and God and between you and all of Rome. Are you a peacemaker? Peace is a great thing to apply when you're in political conversations. I bet you January 6th would have been a lot different if both parties were approaching it from a peaceful disposition versus what happened in front of the world. Wouldn't you agree? Number five, Jesus did not get defensive. I love this about Jesus. 
Remember James and John, some of his closest disciples, remember the request? They said, hey, Jesus, when you get to glory, can we sit at your right hand and your left hand? <laughs> Talk about overstepping boundaries. Like, Jesus, we just want to sit next to you all of eternity. What do you think, big guy? And Jesus was like, no way, Jose. Jesus wasn't, here's the therapeutic term, he wasn't codependent. Jesus was okay to set boundaries, and when people overstepped, he would set them again. And he wasn't worried about disappointing those who were closest to him. And you know what? In our political conversations, especially with family members and loved ones, it's okay. You don't have to get defensive. I know it's natural. I know it's easy to do. I've done it a gazillion times. But when you're there to seek to understand, to ask questions, when you can have a peace, when you can take a, a holy breath, I call it a holy pause, it gives you the latitude to be a peacemaker in a situation. Number six, I found this surprising to me, but as I was looking at scripture, when Jesus met disagreeable people, Jesus was flexible. Isn't it true that when we meet people who are, are disagreeable with us, we become very inflexible, very rigid? <laughs> we dig our heels in, we get stubborn, right? And then we're getting ready to unload. Jesus was flexible. In Matthew chapter 15, there was a Canaanite woman who wanted Jesus to heal her child. And initially Jesus said no. But because key, here's the key, he was open to the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God changed and allowed him to be flexible toward this Canaanite woman. And he said, yes, I am going to now heal your child. My point is this, in our conversations with people who disagree with us, when we can maintain some flexibility and space for the spirit to change us as well as the other person, that can provide a healthy outcome, especially in the area of politics. Jesus was flexible. Here's the seventh thing Jesus prayed. He prayed the prayer of submission. He prayed the prayer of submission in the Garden of Gethsemane. He said, Father, let this cup pass, but if it doesn't, not my will, but your will. And then you know what he does? Jesus gets you, he gets us because he prayed for you and for me. He prayed in John chapter 17 that we would, for believers for all time, would be united, that we would preach and teach and make disciples, that we would be united. He prayed for our unity, and that our purpose and our, and our love and our actions would flow from this unity. Jesus prayed, he prayed, he prayed, he prayed when he encountered people who were disagreeable toward him. And then finally, and the most important one, Jesus, Jesus always loved. What did Jesus do? He always loved. He always loved. When he was on the cross, he didn't hurl insults. He didn't retaliate. He didn't throw down curses from heaven. He didn't call on legions of angels to make him right or to show that he was right to those who crucified him, but rather he loved them and he prayed, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He suffered in silence. The cross, the crucifixion was the greatest injustice to the person who was blameless before God on our behalf and he silently suffered so that we could receive the righteousness and the forgiveness of God. He always loved. He loved, and he calls us to love. Love is what defines us. Love is what shapes us in these hard conversations. 
in these things that we're dealing with as a people in our society, in our world today, in this generation, we're called to love, to love as Christ has loved us. Listen, I can love you regardless of who you voted for because Jesus has loved me first and I'm called to love you regardless of your politics. God calls us to love in such a way that it brings healing and hope to our souls. And when a community, imagine a community of people living this love out, this kingdom of God out, what it would do for not only a neighborhood, but for a nation. We're called to love. We're called to love. So here's where we're going in this series. We're, uh, we're going in the area of politics. Today, we talked about politics, January 15th. Next week, next Sunday, we're gonna talk about race. And because race is such a huge issue for us as a people, uh, I've set up, felt led of the Lord to set up a, uh, another space, um, a container, if you will, a form F-O-R-U-M, a form. Did I spell that right? A form, a conversation. Um, next week is Sunday, January 15th. We're going to talk about race. The, the following Wednesday, January 18th, uh, we're going to talk about race. And I want to invite all of you to be a part of that. Space is limited. Make sure you download our mobile app. You can register on our mobile app. I would love for you to be there because I want to talk about race. I wanna ask some questions. I wanna listen, I wanna learn, I wanna love, I wanna grow. And I wanna celebrate who we are as Pathways because one of the things that we are, we're representative of God's kingdom. There's a lot of diversity and I love it here at Pathways. And that's not something we plan for. That's just a work of the spirit. And I feel like we have a voice to continue to further that kingdom, the kingdom mindset of that here with us. But those conversations are clunky and they need some time and space to, to, to have. So we're gonna do that on January 18th. And then the following week, we'll do politics this week. We're gonna do race next week. And then uh, uh, the following week, we're going to uh, talk about sexuality. We're gonna talk about sexuality. And just heads up, if you have kids, uh, you know, um, I'm more than comfortable having him here, but you might not be. So uh, just... Fair warning on that. Two weeks, we'll talk about sexuality. And then we're gonna wrap up this message series, He Gets You, when we talk about grief and suffering and uh, resurrection, resurrection power. And uh, yeah, it's gonna be amazing. Before we bow for a word of closing prayer, I just uh, want to say thank you. I wanna say thank you to uh, you as a congregation for listening so graciously today to this message. Um, I've been praying for you and our prayer partners and people have been praying for me as I deliver not only this message, but this series. You know, I wasn't ready to give this series in 2020 and 2021. I wasn't there emotionally. I wasn't there spiritually. Um, I didn't have the time and the energy um, to really sit and reflect. I still consider myself to be a young pastor, and it takes me time to formulate thoughts and to see things and to feel them. And what I didn't want to do was react. because so you can tell a lot about a person's reactions in the moment. I wanted to have a little bit more of a heartfelt and thoughtful response. But these issues aren't going away, friends. And uh, I feel like this is where the Lord is leading me to preach and to teach you 
as we start off 2023. And I, I just wanna say, thank you for being so gracious. Many of you are watching online and um, you, you've been so gracious, even in this. I can sense your heart. Um, and I just want you to know that I love you. Um, you're my only congregation. God has allowed me to pastor you and I love you. And uh, I just want us to continue to grow in 2023, to have a faith that's firm, not flimsy, tested and true, that it will stand the rigors of what we're gonna face in the days and weeks and months and years to come. So with that being said, would you bow with me for a word of closing prayer? Heavenly Father, I pray that you would lead us as a congregation. Lord, we don't, as we sang earlier today, we, we, we don't have to fear. <laughs> the battle belongs to you. And even in these next several messages in the days and weeks and months to come, Lord, Lord, you have called this church to do some extraordinary things for your name and your glory. We trust the truth of your word. When we lift you up, Jesus, you'll draw all people unto yourself. And so that's what we're passionate about. We're Jesus followers. We're committed to you. Thank you for getting us. Thank you for getting me, for getting every single person in this room, every single person in the valley, every single person online. Thank you for our friends in Florida, God, who are cleaning up and rebuilding. It's a kingdom thing to go down there and to love and to serve and to roll up our sleeves and be compassionate. It's a kingdom thing to pour into the next generation. We lift up all of our students who were on retreat this weekend, speak to them as they were taking a deep dive in you, all those leaders with them. It's a kingdom thing to be a collection of people who are white and black and brown, young and old, every generation represented here at Pathways Church. It's a taste of heaven and I'm honored to be able to pastor here. I love you, Jesus. I love you so much. And now we want to do what you call us to do through your word. We want to pray for our governmental leaders at every level, national, state, and local. We lift them up to you. God, I pray specifically Micah 6-8 over them. God, that they will walk justly and love mercy. Walk humbly before you. Act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly before you, God. If they don't know you, I lift up President Biden. God, I lift up every official. If they don't know you, that they would come to know you, that the light of Jesus Christ would pierce and penetrate their heart in such a way that they would have a transformation. Every leader, we're not called to judge. We don't know, but you know. And God, we pray, Lord, for our government. We pray, Lord, that uh, you would lead us. God, we also uh, ask for your forgiveness as a nation. Forgive us of our sins. God, we're sorry we've offended you. Our nation is out of control. Morality, God, the ethics, our government. God, we're so broken and helpless without you. At every bend, and every fork in the road, we need you desperately. So forgive us. And now I pray for individuals who are here today that don't know you. God, we've heard clear teaching about your kingdom. Your kingdom, our entrance into your kingdom is when we repent and when we believe. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, he wants to be your king. <laughs> he wants you to live under his rule so that blessings in your life can flow. Peace, purpose, perspective, purity, 
power. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ, maybe you walked away from Christ, you were turned off by the church, or perhaps you've just drifted and you've backslidden, or maybe someone invited you today and you've never known Jesus or you've known him mentally, but now you want to know him at a very personal and deep and at a soul level. You want your heart to be cleansed and renewed, a heart of flesh, not of stone, ridden of sin and guilt and shame. If that's you today, and you're online, you can just type in, I'm giving my life to Jesus. You can reach out to our church, email, call the church, let somebody know. But if you're in the room here today and you wanna make a decision for Jesus Christ, would you just raise your hand? I wanna acknowledge you, I wanna acknowledge your hand and then we can go from there. Anybody? Yes, thank you. Anybody else? Yes, all the way in the back, thank you, I see you. Yes, thank you. I see you, thank you. Okay. Can we pray together out loud, together? Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me. Jesus, you get me. You get my hurt and my loneliness. And you get my sin. And you didn't come here today to condemn me, but to forgive me. So I repent, I'm sorry. Come into my life and change me so I can live into your kingdom and make an impact for you. In the name of Jesus, the strong son of God. And everyone who agreed this prayer said, amen, amen. Hey, can we celebrate those individuals today that made a decision for Jesus? Come on, let's lift that up to him. He is our king, praise God.